Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, this is NFL legend, two time Super Bowl champion, Gary Clark. You know what you got to tune into, right? You know what podcast is off the chain. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Burgundy Network podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Taylor. As you can tell, my voice is still shot from Thursday (laughs) night, which is insane because it's Sunday. So apologies for that. Uh, We've been waiting to do this episode just so I could recover. But joining me as always is my co-host, Brian Murphy. What's going on, Brian? How are you feeling after that uh, Thursday night thriller, as I like to call it? Man, four days later, I'm still feeling riding high. It's it's awesome that we've been able to wait and kind of break it down and then come at it a little level-headed. I think if we would have done it Thursday night, we wouldn't be able to hear you. We would have been talking Super Bowl, so it's nice to come at it from a level head, but still pumped yeah. up, still an awesome win. Jealous that you were there. Maybe I'm the bad luck, but, uh, man, what a win. No, I mean, that was – we'll talk about the atmosphere because I definitely want to talk about that, but – like, like I said, my voice is like shot. I would have been the most obnoxious person <laughs> if we would have uh-huh. recorded like the day after like Friday. It would not have been good. So many people would have hated this episode. But guys, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online, And Bet Online is back and better than ever. And all eyes are on the gridiron as if you've been watching football today. It's been nuts the first two weeks. And today, being on a Sunday, has been insane. It's not uh, giving up at all. And as you can tell, I'm throwing out some bets on uh, Twitter. I'll win some, lose some. But, guys, the best and easiest way to place all your bets is Bet Online, which is the number one spot for all pro and college football. So, regardless of which one you take a look at, but Bet Online is your source for everything football, even Washington season. You know, we'll see if we pan out eight and a half games is what the line was at. So, I'm still kind of riding that. I think we, I feel good about hitting the over on that still. Um, but if you oh, yeah. sign up on Bet Online, you just use your mobile device or go online, and uh, you'll get 100% on your welcome deposit your first try. So, like me, you know, lost a bunch of games today, but it's okay. If you post your uh, first bet down, you get 100% uh, deposit back on that. So, just go over to uh, Bet Online and use the promo code NFL100 and you get back that. So, if you drop $100, they match it regardless you double your first deposit so head over to bet online and place those bets and like i said today hasn't been the best day for me bet wise we'll be honest with you but saturday did pretty good so like i'm just leveling out we'll see how the uh, chiefs and ravens play out tonight but man what a game and i did have some bets on the washington new york game that actually hit but um we thought go. it was gonna be a low scoring game and it turned out to be a little bit higher scoring um, than we turned out to be. So what did you think about that? Like, first off, like how, how many points were scored in that game? Was it a little bit more than what you were thinking? Yeah, for sure. I, I thought we were thinking like a 17, 13, 20 to 17 type game. But right. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there were a couple of big plays by both teams. Maybe should have been a couple of big, more big plays um, as well. But yeah. Uh, didn't expect uh, it to be up into the 30s. I mean, I know it was 30 to 29, but, yeah, that was definitely higher scoring than I would have predicted, especially with the rain. I think it kind of cleared out, you know, eventually. But, you know, I thought it was going to be a little sloppy, keep the ball on the ground and uh, grind it out. But, obviously, that didn't happen. Yeah, the weather was pretty crappy. Like, when I first got there, the seats were, like, soaked. And it was, like, misting. It wasn't, like, raining at all. It was just, like kind of misting like nonstop and it did stop i want to say like into the first quarter but still like i was kind of concerned i was like man like this is going to be like a run the ball a lot kind of game you know saquon and antonio gibson are gonna be like big contributors in this game because of that but man i do have to talk about like with it being a thursday night game and with it being a you know rainy disgusting kind of night the fans showed out man and i had so many people text me that knew i was at the game like dude it sounds so loud on tv like how intense is it at the stadium right now like did you get that vibe from watching it live on tv oh yeah i was i was super proud of the fans i was super proud of you guys because you know you could tell that there were giants fans there and people oh, yeah. always want to make much ado about nothing with that i mean that's going to happen in every nfl stadium i mean we're, we're recording this on Sunday night. The Cowboys basically took over the Chargers. Exactly. Stadium. I mean, I it happens. Yep. It, it happens everywhere. But you could tell that there was definitely a home field advantage. It got loud. There were a couple of plays where I think the the crowd definitely affected things, and you could tell that they were in it. It was humming. 
um, on the broadcast, it certainly sounded like it. And it was nice to see a home field advantage for once. And if you keep winning games like that, you keep getting big wins. Hopefully that'll just uh, continue to improve. But yeah, it certainly could, you could hear it. And it was, it was fun to hear. I'll say compared to a Thursday night and Sunday night, I think there's more fans or Sunday day. There's more fans there Thursday night. Like I want to say, to be honest with you. Um, and I wasn't expecting that at all, honestly, but there were a lot of giant fans, but obviously, like you said, if you play well, you know, the team's doing well, it's going to quiet that out and kind of fade that out. Um, and yeah, I saw on the broadcast, it said like 55% of the fans um, were Cowboys today in Los Angeles. And like, that's nuts. That's not an easy like yeah. travel. Like it's not like the Texans playing the Cowboys or something like that. So, and I was like wondering, like, I wonder if they're like local media and stuff's kind of harping on that too. Like, I wonder if the, the Chargers are really spending their time talking about it. Do you, th- yeah, do you and- think so? No, I don't think so at all. I, I mean, maybe it's because the media is not as tough on the football team as it is out there. But I just think – I think across the league you're going to see that. I think teams are going to uh, – you know, fans are going to travel. There's going to be some fair-weather fans. Of course, you know, they're going to cheer for the Stars. They're not going to necessarily always cheer for the home team. I mean, down here in Atlanta that happens all the time. I know that there are passionate Falcon fans – um, but a lot of times they get drowned out sometimes by visiting fans. It just ha- it happens across the league. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I'm not going to dog on the local DC media, but they love to harp on some things a little too much. And that might be one of them, I think. Uh, but, you know, if the, if the team keeps winning and they have success, they're not going to have much to talk about. They're going to have to come with a new story. And so it was refreshing to see, despite the fact that there was a loud Giants fan, despite there were some loud Chargers fans, this team's played okay to pretty well these first two games yeah and like you said every team has like we have our own like team that travels like i know relic captain's one that's known but they have like actual like packages put together like if you want to travel like with other fans and like you know get tickets and stuff like that like every every fan base has loyal fans that goes to literally every single game obviously i know the hog farmers and them go to you know pretty much every single game they travel i'm going down there to atlanta with you you came up here to fedex like it happens like it's Mm -hmm. just if you're a fan, that's what you do. Like, I can't tell you how much money I've spent on Alabama football the last like six years, just traveling back and forth there. Um, but I do want to harp on the the media just for a quick sec because you said you wouldn't, but I definitely would. Like to me, I just it blew my mind that that's the one thing that keeps getting brought up week in and week out. We saw like three or four different instances in like the first week and a half of the season. Uh, you know, putting pictures on look, like uh, Twitter and stuff like this. Like, oh, this is my buddy's season tickets. Like, and he's surrounded by Chargers fans. Like, I, I just feel like on the like, Chargers side, you forgot on to mention Chargers that side. point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me jumping in and pulling like, oh man, I got wet. Mm-hmm. Well, duh. You're yeah. sitting on the wrong side. But to me, I just, I just found it, you know, I won't, I won't go as far as say it's pathetic, but it was just, it's just annoying for a fan base that's been through so much. And, you know, we've, you know, seen and been a part of this rebranding process, a team that lost its name, lost so many fans that we've been trying to work back and, you know, focus on the team and on the field stuff. And, you know, Ron going through his battle, stuff like that, just coming together as fans. And like, yet the media wants to harp on like, oh, this place is a little empty for a, you know, a team that just changed his name and lost a lot of fans and has been going through years of mediocrity and Dan Snyder. Like, duh. Like, I I think every fan knows that just it's very negative a lot of times and even when the team does have a big win even if the, even though they're coming off a, a division win it, it feels like the first instinct is to go negative i mean it's yeah. just it is frustrating it, it feels like no matter how well the team's going to do there's always going to be somebody that wants to like kind of take a jab whenever they can yeah like to me they're like oh well if the team plays better then the fans will show up well yeah so like tell us what the team needs to do to play better tell us like what's going on with the team don't, you know, send out pictures and say, oh, the, the stadium is at 60% fans, you know, 30 minutes before the kick. I'm like, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. tell us what the, the team needs to do to, like, get the stands back. And, like, we as fans, like, I can ridicule how many fans show up and stuff all day long because I'm a fan and I spend my money on the team. But, I don't know, it was just annoying to me. And that place was rocking Thursday night. I've been to, I want to say probably, like, 15, 16-ish range of Washington games. And that was the most intense I've ever seen at stadium. It's just being the crazy game and nighttime games, always a different vibe. Um, and then just winning and celebrating afterwards. Like the fans were nuts. And it's funny because I saw the local media finally giving us props after the right. game, saying like, 
oh yeah, Chase Young's over here with his family and, you know, Terry's giving out stuff. Fans are staying late and just, you know, I mean, the drum line and stuff's outside. Like, fine, like, give us that respect because, like, we're a really good fan base. That place was lit on Thursday night after the win. And even, like, when we lose, like, it's still such a great place to go. So if you don't go to FedEx, if you've been one of those fans that's, like, on the fence about it, like, just go. Mm-hmm. Go to the tailgates, hang out with fans, experience what it's like being there at a live game, and I promise you it's worth it. But I just think us as a fan base, like, deserves more respect from the local media. Because yeah. we caused like what two turnovers? I mean, not two turnovers, two penalties in that game late in like a key situation because that place was so loud. Yeah. So let's talk about this game a little bit. Taylor Heineke's first start, obviously, you and him go way back. You're pretty much best friends. Like you have his cell phone <laughs> number, apparently. <laughs> I didn't know, which no. is a good little nugget to find out. We we um, went to the same high school. I guarantee he doesn't know my name or anything about me. So let's let's. That's fine. But he we will. we can we can call it however we want it. Like. That's fine. That's fine. He will. I'm, yeah. You're 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 going to be best friends in in the near future. We'll put it. That's right. That. It's pending. Well, he's coming. He's coming back home down to Atlanta. Maybe exactly. maybe we'll get to hang out in our old yeah. stomping grounds. Sound like hey, look at some raising canes or whatever is big down there. Um. So Taylor's first start. Let's break it down. So obviously we've seen a little bit small sable size. That's been the big thing with Heineke. Is like we haven't seen enough. We don't know what's mm-hmm. there. He's this big wild card. I think we saw enough to say this is what we kind of expect from Heineke. We know his playing style now, and I have a couple takes I'll give you. Um, But, you know, stats-wise, 34 for 46, 336, two tutties, and an interception, which I'm not putting on him at all. By the way, we'll talk about. Um, obviously, he had that beautiful touchdown to Terry McLaurin, and then I would say this play can't be beat, and I, I don't even you know care about the rest of the season. The touchdown to Ricky Seals-Jones and – the corner of the end zone. He only had like six snaps on Thursday and all he needed was one to make probably the best catch. That's I'd say that was the best touchdown since the Vernon Davis, um, you know, the Eagles touchdown where like hurdles them. Mm-hmm. That, that has to be like top two, in like the last, like what, five, six years. Right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those plays that's going to cement itself um, in, you know, FedEx lore for a while just because of how crazy it was and you're right so I mean a part of it what makes it so great is the fact that he only played six snaps I mean that's just that's incredible a guy being ready to do something like that with despite you know not even getting a ball thrown his way up until then um, I don't even I, I don't I'm not sure he's gotten that many balls thrown to him in practice much less in that big of a scenario I mean it was just crazy unbelievable we could go on just about that play alone but yeah it was absolutely insane but it, it happened so fast too. Like it was the one pass to JD McKissick, which was a dime in stride, like between two defenders, mm-hmm. exactly where it needed to be, exact timing um, on it, and then just the very next play. Like being at the stadium, I was on the the side where, you know, the catch was, but I was towards closer to the other end zone, and we were all just like, did he just like did we just score that quick? Like we've never been yeah. used to that. Like we're like, there's well, no way he like he just caught that. And I'll tell you what, I, I feel like this game was one of the biggest roller coasters I've ever had with this team. Oh, yeah. And I was at the point, it was 26-20. They could not – Graham Gano was hitting everything, and they kept letting them get a little bit closer at the end of those drives to make it even easier for him to hit. So I'm like, I mean, they're not getting a stop. I, I don't know what to expect here. I mean, they're just going to – what I was picturing was them going down on a long drive, stalling out, kicking a field goal to make it a three-point game. I'm like, here we go. They're just going to eat up more clock. But the two plays, it was unbelievable. I went from like a dejected low to like the highest of highs. I mean, it was incredible. And you're right. There's not, it's not often that this team hits on big plays. I mean, Terry McLaurin every now and then will hit a, hit a deep, you know, a deep one, a catch and run, something like that. But it's not often that they're able to hit two big plays like that, go right down the field and score. It was, uh, unbelievable to watch i can't imagine being there i'm I, i'm not sure i'm sure you've gone back and watched it but the call by uh joe buck was great but the best part of it was uh troy aikman could not believe he just was like whoa like as, <laughs> it was just like as one quarterback to another he could not believe that he yeah. made that throw and that he made it that perfectly and it was it was it should have been the game winner honestly but it, it was yeah. it was just an incredible moment and like what I loved the most about it, like if you like break down that play, um, one, it was play action. And I'll talk about that too, of how much uh, Heineke really thrived in play action, but it was his third read mm-hmm. going to that side. Like you see him look in the middle, you see him go to the left. 
and then he looks to the right, and it is literally like I don't know if y'all have ever shot a gun. Don't <laughs> want to get political or anything like that, but like how sensitive a trigger is. It that's exactly how that pass was. It was just like boop, gone. It was just mm-hmm. very decisive, and he knew exactly where he wanted to go, and it was literally the perfect pass. And and to me, that showed a little bit of his maturation, even in the few times that we've seen him. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, last season in the, the Tampa Bay game, you know, he had that crazy run that he kind of got out of out of, you know, being sacked and going and scoring a touchdown. I feel like Taylor Heineke of, you know, maybe even a month ago would have bailed on that play and would have taken off running. And I think that he realizes that, you know, as a quarterback, you got to be able to go to your second, third fourth read like on this play and I think that that's showing some maturation from him and just kind of his evolution I think he also knows that he's kind of small I mean there's no getting around that he is small compared to the average NFL quarterback and he can't afford to take all those hits that's what makes him exciting is him getting out and scrambling but that also is what you know leaves him open to being knocked out of games which we've already seen in the in the few times that he's played not just for Washington but for Carolina as well and so I just thought that was just a huge moment for him. And I think the entire game, I mean, what I don't, what do you have, like a, a yard rushing or something, or a couple yards or something like that, where normally in one of his starts, you would think like 30 plus easily. I think he just was, he did a really good job of taking what was there, not putting himself in harm's way and not putting the team in harm's way. And that was just really, really encouraging to see. And it was all kind of like, it all culminated in that moment in that play that was just so perfectly done by him, by Seals Joan, by everybody. Yeah, I mean, just seeing that he had forty six pass attempts, I would not have expected that at all. Would have thought that was, I would have thought that was a loss. If you told me yeah. going into it that he had to throw it forty six times, <laughs> I would have been like, we're playing exactly, exactly. I'm <laughs> so, with you. I mean, and like speaking of like betting stuff, like that's a, a bet that I like to do is like pass attempts. And there's no way in the world I would have guessed anywhere near 46. Nope. Um, but in like this, this might be first hot take of the uh, episode, but I think the pass to Ricky Seals Jones is a better play than the dive against Tampa Bay as a quarterback. I like yeah. just, I don't know. It might be me like just kind of dissecting it and seeing him really, you know, know his pocket presence, know where the pressure is coming from, going through his progressions, which was beautiful. Usually a lot of quarterbacks, it's like one, two, bail. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you one, two, you leave the pocket, one, two, you throw it away. He said one, two, three, boom, and it was spot on. Just the the placement of it, the timing, literally everything about that play was perfect to me. That, that To me, 10 out of 10 times that beats, you know, yes, he avoided uh, uh, getting sacked and then rolling out and diving for it. It was a beautiful play. But I don't know. Just as a quarterback, I think that is a better play. For sure. Far. Yeah, um, I can I can totally see that. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. He he totally, you know, and even the throw was perfect. They, they commented on the fact that it was either a touchdown or it was incomplete. I mean, there's no way for that ball to be picked. Yeah. And that was, you know, for a guy that has kind of made some dangerous throws, that was just, it, it was so awesome. Uh, yeah. Another one where we could just sit here and, talk about it all the time but it was I've just it, it many times <laughs> it, it, i mean it just it just feels like you see the hard work being put in you don't want to put too much on one play but it's just nice to see it uh kind of come to fruition when when you know the guy's putting in hard work and you hear that he's putting in hard work but then to see it actually happen on the field it, it doesn't get much better than that well and then the just the offense being average in general the last who knows how many years and then having something exciting like that happen showing like Hey, Heineke does have something special about him. Don't know what the heck it is, mm-hmm. but the dude can ball. Um, so breaking down more of his game in the play action, he was 13 for 15, 153 yards in those two touchdowns. And to me, like we knew he was good on his feet, and that's good. Like you can still use that to your ability without bailing and running, you know, kind of just not trusting your pocket, but also using that uh play action pass, getting outside the pocket and making some throws. So that impressed me, like seeing that. It's showing that they're playing to his strengths. Scott Turner saying, hey, this is what you do well. Let's, you know, build the playbook around you. Let's select these plays based off of what you do the best. Now, let's talk about the interception because you talk mm-hmm. about roller coasters. That was the lowest I've ever been in that stadium. Knowing that we had this win, and I'm like, look, I, I literally said it so many times out loud. I was like, Scott, run the ball as much as possible, literally the entire drive. And then second and seven – you asked Taylor Heineke to throw a quick pass like that. I think it was right to Terry, and it was intercepted by James Bradbury, who's one of the best DBs in the NFL, by the way. He's a turnover machine. 
Right. And I don't put that on Taylor Heineke at all. I put that a hundred percent on Scott Turner because you shouldn't be putting him in that situation in the first place. You should be running that rock because Antonio Gibson had 13 carries for 69 yards. Yes, that is an average of 5.3 yards a carry and zero negative plays in the game. Exactly. And then also, Again, for the second straight week, I believe that he has yeah. had uh, no negative run plays. I don't think he had many at all last season either. Um, and then J.D. McKissick, we've known that he's this weapon. And he shows that even more, not only in the receiving game, but he had nine um, total touches for 93 yards in that touchdown, which was like a walk in the park. Terrible defense by the Giants, by the way. But like we said, the big moments, that fourth and one he converted, um, the 56-yard catch, and then, like I said, the easy walk-in touchdown. You have these two weapons. There's no reason to even be throwing it on second and seven with mm -hmm. the lead late in the fourth quarter. Like, is there even – could you even think of a reason why you would do that, like catch the defense? Like, I don't know. No, I, uh, you know, Taylor Heineke ultimately is throwing the ball. So I don't know that I can take all the blame off of him, but I'm with you. I don't know why a pass would have even, you know, entered the the list of plays that could have been called right yeah. there. And, and mainly that, like suggestions, a pass is not in yeah, the category on that. Time. Yeah. I mean, it's just common sense. And the fact that Antonio Gibson went 11 yards uh, to get a first down just before that, then he ripped off another three, which I'll take three yards in that situation I know New York called a timeout, so maybe you're trying to catch him off guard or something like that. But it's just – I don't know why you would throw the ball at all. I think you just keep handing it to Antonio Gibson. If you're going to call a pass, if – I mean, maybe you clear everybody out and maybe try to get it to Gibson or McKissick, like you said, underneath. But I, I still wouldn't even take the risk there. And it's nothing against Taylor Heineke. I mean, you got to take the kid's kid gloves off. I mean, he's out there. He's got to lead this team. But that inexperience of a quarterback – I mean, I could maybe see it if it was Fitzpatrick or a guy that's been around for a little bit, but not a guy making his third career start and not a guy, um, you know, that you've already put a lot of expectations on for, for somebody who hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, but then it's just, it's simple. Antonio Gibson is averaging five yards a carry. You hand it off to him. You let the clock run. You, you punt it deep with hopefully may, maybe 30 or less seconds at the worst if you haven't already gotten enough first downs to run out the clock, I mean, it, 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 it was ridiculous. I, I felt like, like it was such a gut punch. And I was like, I can't believe that this just happened after that incredible throw that that's how this night's going to be remembered. And honestly, the, the thought that was going through my head was this team could be two and O and they're about to be O and two because of two turnovers deep in their own area. I mean, just bad situational play by, by the team and but i'm with you there's there should have been no reason that a, that a pass was even called or even considered uh in that situation yeah it literally happened right in front of me like the exact yardage i have it on video i was like i was just trying to like kept you know capture like i was getting a first down running the clock out everyone getting hype and then it was just like uh and that oh, place wait. literally just got yeah. dead silent it i was i was just in complete shock and like you said, it's not even just like it has nothing to do with Taylor Heineke. It's situational football and it's awareness as offensive coordinator and a play caller to like know it, what you need to do in that situation. You have Jared Patterson, JD McKissick, and Antonio Gibson. Run one yeah. of them. If you want to do something fancy, like do a draw of it. Like if you want to yeah. look like you want to pass the ball, do a draw. Well, and and I'm sure that there's a an analytics geek out there that'll tell you, you know, you catch him off guard with a pass there. I mean, you, they'll say that's what Sean McDay, McVay would do. That's what Kyle Shanahan would do. Well, you know what the, Kyle uh, Shanahan and Sean McVay would also do is, is run the ball when they're supposed to run the ball and, and run out the clock and win the game. I mean, there, there's there's a you know maybe, I'm not saying that that's what it was that that you know that called for a pass or or whatever but uh, you gotta you gotta be more aware of the situation especially when you have the Giants on their heels like that after you gashed them for two straight running plays uh, just man it could have been a disaster but thank goodness it wasn't yeah so like I said uh, Gibson and uh, J D McKissick both said hey respect this wide receiver I mean uh, running back room which has been kind of harped on in the off season um, both look like they're going to be great weapons for us this season. And then obviously Terry McLaurin doing scary Terry things. Apparently that's the name he prefers. Cause like he has merch out now with like, face on. like he wants to be called uh, scary Terry. So that's what I'm calling my wider. If, he, if um, he wants to be called Nancy or, uh, you yeah. know, princess, Dustin. I'm calling him that he's, he's earned it. That man is incredible. I think, you know, there are so many storylines in this game, but 
the fact that he is just so legit and the fact that he goes in there week in and week out, he talked about it being frustrating that this is his, you know, feels like 20th different quarterback, but he goes out there, does not complain, comes out with one of his biggest career games. I mean, he was one of the top five best players on the field that night, if not uh, top, you know, top two. It, it, it was just – I can't say enough about Terry McLaurin, and he he really is scary Terry, and I, I, I love that guy. I, I was jokingly on Twitter. I was like, I can't wait to name my – you know, I can't wait for Terry Murphy to meet Terry McLaurin one day. <laughs> 11 catches, 107 <laughs> yards, and a touchdown. Uh, I definitely felt like that too. But the thing that's so beautiful about him at wide receivers, how he just goes up and gets um, passes. Because I'm not going to lie, like Taylor Honke throws some very risky – passes like some questionable like oh man i I got a thought on that i want you to finish your point but i got a thought on that go ahead go ahead but just the way that terry like not bails him out but just goes up and says i'm gonna make sure like i'm the one that gets this and he just like absolutely bodies people if it's like in a crowded area it doesn't matter he goes up and gets it and comes down with it every single time so what were you gonna say so I, I saw a lot of people saying, you know, that he was flirting with danger, Taylor Heineke, that is, by throwing it high. And th- there were a couple of high passes that, you know, he might have gotten away with. But to me, I was kind of like, man, he is trusting his receivers. And to me, it was kind of a positive because it's not like he was throwing high to, to J.D. McKissick. He wasn't throwing high to Adam Humphreys. He was throwing it high to his six six tight end, Logan Thomas. He was throwing it high to Ricky Seals-Jones in, in the back of the end zone. He's throwing it high to Terry McLaurin, who, though he's not the biggest guy, like you said, will bail a, a quarterback out every play if you let him. I mean, he, he plays like he's 6'5", like he's Calvin Johnson. And then he threw another high one to uh, Deami Brown, where Deami jumped out of the stadium to go get that. Yeah. So to me, I didn't feel like it was as risky as people wanted to make it out to be. I think he was picking and choosing, and it, it felt refreshing to see a quarterback actually go – give his guys a chance to make a play. I mean, how many years have we, you know, we called Kirk Cousins captain check down because he he would kind of dink and dunk. And then obviously Alex Smith wasn't going to stretch the field, but that felt like they, he was actually giving his guys opportunities to go make plays. And they, they, they did it. I mean, there's that, that, that route up the seam by Logan Thomas that he fit in between uh, two defenders, you know, that might've been considered a little bit high, but he knew who his receiver was. Um, same thing with the, with the, the plays I've already mentioned. And so while, yes, it could be dangerous, you know, you could deflect off there, you know, they wouldn't have won this game if he didn't make those plays and he wasn't willing to trust his guys. So I don't see it as dangerous. And I feel like people were kind of like, Oh, they're waiting for that backbreaking, you know, overthrow or something like that. And it, it didn't happen because he was actually kind of picking and choosing his spots. And um, so I wasn't overly worried about that. I mean, you can't live by that, but uh, I saw a lot of people kind of, kind of dogging on him there and I thought that he was doing a pretty good job of of knowing the situation and knowing his guys and so I, I was actually pretty impressed by it yeah I mean us as fans like at the stadium we're like oh man that's so close like there's two guys there and there's Terry oh whew. all right like yeah Terry got it but like you bring up an interesting point like I feel like he I'm trying to find someone to compare him to um JD McKissick compared him to Russell Wilson by the way I wanted to say he kind of reminded me of um like this is going to sound bad. Like Rajon Rondo, like he makes everyone around him play better. Mm-hmm. He like, he, he plays to your strength. He elevates everyone. Like Terry, he knows exactly how to throw it. Just like you said, Logan Thomas, he knows to throw it high, you know, seals Jones. He knows where to throw it. Adam Humphreys. He knows to lead him on a slant, like catch him in stride. JD McKissick up the sideline, catch up in stride. Like just drop it exactly where he needs to be. He knows exactly how each player plays like their tendencies and their strengths and stuff. And it seems like Taylor Heineke really knows like how each player plays, like every single yeah. play. And that's something Jameis Winston this morning, they were talking to him about like how he studies other quarterbacks. And he said, one thing that impressed me the most about Drew Brees is he knew every single player on his team. He knew exactly how they thought every play. If they saw something, how they would react, like just breaking it down to an exact science. That's insane. You literally have seconds to think about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and don't think that I'm comparing Taylor Heineke to to any of these guys, but I mean, Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison would go out before the game in their gym shorts and stuff and just run routes. And from what I understand, I don't think they had like a plan or anything. They would just go and just kind of see what each other was thinking. And that's so huge. It's it's almost as important as being physically gifted is is like you said, knowing your guys and knowing what they're thinking 
in that situation? What, where you want the ball? Where, what are you thinking here? You know, if you have an option route, which way are you going to go? That kind of thing. And that's huge. And it, it does seem like Heineke does have that, you know, we'll see what the next game looks like. Maybe he's totally off, but you know, you, you gotta be really, <laughs> you gotta be, you gotta be really encouraged with where he's at. And yeah. like you said, the, the timing has been really, really good with his guys. All I know is I saw a happy Terry. There was like videos like during the game. He's like, Hey man, you and me, we got a good connection. Like we got this little mojo going. Like it was yeah. just a good momentum. Catch them in stride. I mean, I love you. And, and, and they started feeding him early. I mean, I think, yeah. what did he have? Like five or six catches in the first half. I mean, I want, I want that every game. That should be the recipe every game. Yeah. Happy Terry is a happy Josh. So I will 100% yeah. take that. Now let's talk about the defense. You know, we talked enough about Heineke and the offense looks great. It's usually the other way around. Defense is great. And then offense is the one slugging, but mm-hmm. offense did his job. Now defense, obviously Saquon Barkley had that one mm-hmm. long run of 50. I mean, not 41 yards, but outside of that, if you take away that one run, he was 12 carries for only 16 yards. I get it coming back from injuries, but still love it. Now what I don't love, is something that Daniel Jones seems to do to us the last, I mean, last year he killed us with this, and it's the keepers, the draws, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the, the RPOs stuff where he's just killing us with his feet. Nine carries for 95 yards in a tutty. And we got lucky on one. There was a penalty on one. Borderline. But, I don't know if you saw that. It was, could was have not been a penalty. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know <laughs> if you saw it on uh, when you watched it back. That was one of the worst holding calls I've ever seen. But, you know, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I'll take it. But still, at the end of the day, Daniel Jones is killing us on his feet. Like, he looks yeah. like Lamar Jackson against us every single time. And I will say, the one player I really want to harp on this, this game, and it kills me, is Landon Collins. That one run on the left side, he bit, was not disciplined on the edge. And all I can think about is Nick Saban just ripping him open as soon as he comes to the the sideline if he was back at Alabama. Well, and honestly, if you you played him side by side, it was the exact same play as the long run he had last year. I think that's the frustrating thing is he got sucked in uh, on the same play, and you just can't have that, especially – I mean, Daniel Jones is what he is, but with Josh Allen coming up next week, I mean, he might go over 100. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it was bad to see. You know, at the end of the day, you you live to you live to see another day. You know, it didn't cost you the game, but it very well could have. And they they got they got gashed up a couple of times there, and it, it didn't seem like anything like foreign. It just seemed like they were they were crashing so hard that they were leaving you know a, a freight trains width out on the edge for him to run. I remember early in the game, there was also a play on the left side. I forgot who ran it. It was either Daniel Jones or Saquon. But Jason Smith Williams completely crashed the edge and like helped them. Like it created like a wide open, like instead of, you know, staying disciplined and like playing the outside and really containing everything back to the inside, he just completely crashed the outside. And that's what's killing us. And I was like, this is going to be a problem this game if we don't, you know, get to Daniel Jones, get this pressure that we've been looking for. Um, but of course, uh, Sterling Shepard had a good night, nine catches for 94 yards. Uh, Slayton had uh three for 54 in a tutty it should have been way more than that um with that wide open play but kenny galladay yeah. this impressed me we talked about william jackson third how he used to lock him down uh lions versus the Bengals. kenny golly never did anything against william jackson the third like ever like every yeah. time they play three catches for 38 yards but man that's slayton uh missed opportunity that would have to me that would have been likely a nail in the coffin oh yeah that would have put him up uh i think what was it uh, maybe would have put them up 10, I think, because I think they I settled for a field goal. I think, yeah, I think it was 23 20. It would have made it, you know, 30 to 20. And that, yeah, that would have been it. Um, it, it that would have sucked all the air out. And it was insane yeah. that he actually dropped it. But, and a lot of people put that on William Jackson the third, but that wasn't his fault at all. And Ron even said on that play, he was expecting safety help. And there was supposed to be, you can see Landon Collins, he, someone across the middle got beat. And Landon mm-hmm. Collins kind of like bit and went forward. It's like, oh, God. Cheated like, on him. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's wide open. Like, I have to, you know, kind of bite up. And then William Jacks third had no idea. So it seems like we haven't talked about this in a while, but miscommunication in the secondary seems like the most common uh, term in Washington history. Yeah. But that just, it blew it. That would have completely sucked all the air out of the uh, stadium. But you get lucky. You get second chances. Yeah. That was like the theme of the night is second chances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can't have that happening. And Stefan Diggs coming to town, or we going 
to Buffalo. Like you can't. Yeah. No. Yeah, that team and and several other teams are are not the New York Giants. They're gonna make you pay on those, and uh, you gotta you gotta write that up and you got you got to shore that up quick, and you got to think that you know they're gonna work a little extra harder on that with you know some extra time off. But yeah, can't have that happen. Otherwise, we could be singing a whole different tune about this ball game. Yeah, I'm I'm sure Washington Twitter will be in shambles on Monday if we lose to Buffalo, but. Something that I can't figure out is why Daniel Jones is turnover prone to Washington. Once again, did not have a turnover against us. And I guarantee you next week, he's going to have like eight (laughs) for no reason. Like, why can we not force turnovers on this guy? Yeah. Um, I I mean, I think it, I think it's like a, a a mojo thing. I think that the same way that Washington fans get nervous when they see Daniel Jones for whatever reason. And you know, the team just does not play well against them. He's probably got to be like, man, I'm feeling good. He feels like a, a a jump shooter that can't miss when he plays this team. And, um, you know, until they, they knock him out and knock him down. I mean, even this game, it's hard to put it all, any of it on Daniel Jones. He played a, a good enough ball game to win it for the Giants. And he still probably has Washington's number. It's just, thankfully, the Washington came out with the win. But yeah, there's no, there's no describing. And you're absolutely right. He's, he's a, he's a guarantee to turnover. Sunday against the Falcons who have a terrible defense. He's going to turn it over at least twice. I, I, I'm not, I'm not the gambler of the two of us, but I would put money on him turning it over at least twice this coming Sunday. They they play the Falcons. Yeah. If Falcons awful defense, they they shouldn't still happen. uh, Yeah. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I don't, I don't get it either. It makes zero sense. I'll check the line on it and uh, let you know if I bet it or not. I'm tempted to because there's no way he's going back-to-back weeks without a turnover. Um, but, and, like, the thing with me is it seems like our problem is getting just torn up in our zone defense. The quarterback has plenty of time to look at the zones and say, all right, this is the dead space, and there's someone wide open. And we're, we're not getting beat on, like, long, like, deep plays except the one for Slayton that got dropped, luckily, but – we're getting beat on like these intermediate throws and it's the zone just, mm-hmm. and it blows my mind. And the way to beat that is to get to the quarterback to where he doesn't have time to sit there and say, okay, this is where my guy's wide open. And to start the game, our pass rush was terrible. It did get better. So I found some stats. I'm a, I've been thinking about a couple of things that I want to talk about too. So pressures on Daniel Jones, who do you think led the team in pressure rating? Uh, based on what I saw, it feels like it should be John Allen. No, mm. second, but Montez Sweat had seven pressures with a 23.3% pressure rate, which is good. That's really mm-hmm. good, actually. Allen was second, like I said, he had five at 19.2%. Matt Ioannidis had four, um, at 17.4%, which is impressive considering he got kind of banged up in the game. Um, and then John Payne had four at 14.8%. And Chase Young was fifth with three at a 9.7%. And I know people are going to be like, oh, my God, what is Chase Young doing? But if you watch the film, all night long, like Chase Young was getting either double teamed or he was getting like picked by tight ends. And like he's he still – yeah. And I was going to say, and he was still leading guys into the other side. Like he was get, he was kind of flushing Daniel Jones the other side right into Montez Sweat. And I feel like he's done that a couple of games to where he's kind of – if you could give an assist on a sack, if you could give like half a sack as an assist, uh, I feel like you would have a couple of those already this year because he's he's done the work on the one side to flush him out, and then the other guys were just kind of waiting on him right there. And so that doesn't show up in the the stats really, um, but uh, I, I think he's still making an impact. Yeah, like if you watch the play with like the air quote, you know, roughing the passer that he had where he like hit Daniel Jones, and then literally he immediately like got off of him and was like, look, I'm not trying to hurt him. He beat two guys to get to the quarterback. like, And that's what it was. Like There was another play where he, he won his matchup, and then Kyle Rudolph just like mm-hmm. shoves him back inside, like knocks him on his tail. Like It's not just like he's like losing one-on-one matchups. Like Rashawn Slater last week, that was one thing. Rashawn Slater, I can comfortably say, is a top five tackle in football. Yeah, he's already. a beast. That dude is filthy. That it is what he's doing week in and week out is just ridiculous. And Lawrence is lucky he didn't play today because I guarantee Slater would have bodied uh, D Lawrence for Dallas too. But I think 
I think it's coming and people are too quick to just do like the game cast, like stats, like, Oh my God, Chase, right. like what's going on with Chase? Chase is a bust. Now I will say this, this might be a hot take, but I think Jonathan Allen's the best D lineman on the whole team. I think, I mean, what three sacks in two games. I mean, he, he's been a man out there. Yeah. And from the inside too, like yeah. he's getting pressure. He's getting off his blocks. That's one thing I loved about him and Dron Payne throughout their whole career, high school, college, now at Washington, they get off their blocks so well. Like they just, it's called washing. Like where you literally just take the lineman and you just go like with the tide, just kind of like wash them out of the equation. And then you're clean and then boom, you're just wrapping up the running back like right there, just getting them off of you quick. There's even plays where he has like sticking out one arm and just grabbing Saquon with one arm and then gets help and like, boom, Saquon's stuck yeah. again. So Jonathan Allen's been absolutely ridiculous. Like paying that man was the best thing we did this off season. Um, but like you said, um, with um, Sacks, I know he had two uh, against the Giants. Sweat had the other, and then Kendall Fuller had the other one. Um, and and that, that leads me to, like, you know, the defense was able to make a play when they switched it up, like when they blitzed Kendall Fuller. I just don't know why Jack Del Rio is so hesitant to, oh, to yeah. not make changes. I mean, it feels like – like, uh, I mean, we said, like, they started off slow. They, they started to really dominate there for a while, and then it, like, went into halftime. And out of halftime, it was like they reverted back to those first couple of drives where they couldn't get any pressure. And Jack Del Rio just – I don't know if it was stubborn, you know, stubbornness or, or, or what it was, but he could not make a change there to, to react. It was like he just kept getting punched in the face, hoping that the guy would tire himself out and, instead of actually going on the offense a little bit. And I – I, I don't understand, but they gotta they gotta get that right, and they gotta make some changes. Otherwise, teams are gonna figure them out and start picking them apart, like we've been saying. Yeah, no, it's it's I 100% agree with you. What I really want to see more of is more Cam Curl blitzing and more Landon Collins blitzing. But then yeah. also like decoys where it looks like they're blitzing and then they don't. Yeah, it's okay to make it look one way and and get people you know catch them off guard. You don't have to do what you're showing, and it feels like Jack Dorio insists on doing what he's showing and it just kind of seems so predictable at times and another thing we could talk about for like an hour is i feel like del rio gets a little too pretty with his subs like he's like oh i have all these all these shiny toys i have to make sure every single one of them plays instead of you know cam curl played like nothing a uh, week one and then he had a little bit more snaps thursday night but i want more cam i want more mm -hmm. and i get like you have bobby mccain and bobby mccain's been liked out too he's been our best like yeah. secondary tackler by far then he got a little bit banged up against the Chargers that it, came out, but he was he wasn't missing a thing. It, it's kind of like in basketball, like if a coach was like, you know, his his best five players at the time, you know, you're, you're supposed to ride the hotline. Let's say it was like four guards and a center, and he's like freaking out because oh, that's not traditional basketball. We need a point guard, a shooting guard, a small well, forward, a power the, forward, and a center. <laughs> like that's a, you're right. That's what Jack Del Rio is like. He's like, oh, we have too many safeties out there. That's an issue, or. We have we have too many good pass rushers out there. That's an issue. He just gets, you're right. He gets a, in his own head a little bit. Like he's got to like, meet, it's almost like he's coaching rec ball where he promised guys a certain number of snaps and he's got to meet that quota despite what might be happening on the field, even if it's not the best lineup for the defense. Yeah. And I really thought about something. I keep hearing people talk about one thing. It's like, why are we not blitzing linebackers? And I get it. And I kind of agree with people like we need to get more pressure and that's a good way to do it. Um, but I want to say, you know, when we, when we play nickel, you get another corner on the field and you take a linebacker off. Most of the time it's Jamin Davis who comes off and Ben St. Juice that comes in. I haven't seen St. Juice really in any kind of blitz packaging, even mm -hmm. like now or like at Minnesota, that's something that hasn't stood out to me. So that's something I put in the back of my head too. Like if, if we blitz, it's, you know, Cam Curl or it's Landon Collins. So I, I dove a little bit deeper and I reached out to an outside source. One of my new favorite follows, by the way, highly recommend. His name is Tom Kisslingbury out of the UK. This dude is a defensive, like genius. He, all he does is talk about uh, defenses on Twitter. And uh, Tony Wheat, one of our guys at a full press coverage, Washington brought me onto this guy. So I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, Tom, how come Washington isn't blitzing? Like, I want to see what the numbers look like. I want to see the snap counts on linebackers on the field and how often they blitz. So, Lord and behold, 
Cole Holcomb, you know how many snaps he's played out of 150? Most of them, if not all. All of them. He played, yeah. he's played all 150 <laughs> snaps. And John Bostic, who, you know, subs in and out sometimes with Jamin Davis, he's at 107. So it's a good little chunk missing. Mm-hmm. And then Jamin Davis, of course, third at 72. I think last week it was at like 30-something, 35, 36. And he was still like the highest graded, you know, one of the highest graded defenders through PFF. Take that whatever you want. Um, But then I broke it down to to blitzing count. And Cole Holcomb came in at blitzing at 7%. So it's pretty low. Like for having Mm -hmm. 150 snaps, only, you know, 7% of the time he's blitzing. And then John Bostic at 8%. So a little bit more. Yeah. And out of the three, who do you think, like, if you just watch them play, who do you think would be the better, like, blitzer of the three? Like, just by looking at them on tape, like, speed would, and all that. Speed just alone, Jamin Davis, you would think you'd want him going after a quarterback and, you know, trying to beat somebody with that speed. We know that that was kind of his calling card was how fast he was. Definitely raw, but, but, but super fast. So that's who I would send. But I feel like that's not the way it's gone. Well, and his is 7% also with Cole Holcomb. But Cole's, you know, blitz more because he's been on the field more. Right, less really, snaps, yeah. yeah. But I really thought about this, like, Cole Holcomb's not a blitzer. He is a run-stopping style Sam linebacker, which is fine. Like, you're allowed to, you're allowed to do that. John Bostic, he's not a good blitzer. He's a big, slower-body middle linebacker, Used to be better in coverage, like than Cole Holcomb is, but I feel like now at the later of his career, it's kind of slowly going down. But you know, good run stopper. I'll throw some air quotes on that too, because sometimes he misses tackles. Yeah. And then Jamin Davis is like the the hybrid guy who does everything. You know, obviously pass rushing, run stop. He looked phenomenal against Saquon Barkley, and then pass coverage. Great Thursday night when he was on the field. Had probably one of the best plays. Um, late in the game when he stopped, I think it was Slayton across the middle, um, held them at the very end there. Um, but we're just, we're not blitzing with the linebackers. And I don't think we have the linebackers to do that. I honestly yeah. think Khalil, uh, Khalil Hudson would be the better linebacker to actually blitz, but we're just not playing him often. Cause maybe, you know, if he comes on teams like, all right, he's obviously the blitzer. Like we haven't seen right. any, you know, pass coverage, you know, packages, but, our, the middle of the field in our zone defense is already horrendous. And like, do you really want to blitz another one of those guys more? And it's not even going to be effective. Like, I hate to say it. Right. Like, are we going to get home? Sure, sometimes. But at the end of the day, like, do you really think Cole Holcomb's going to like get a sack? How many, like, I want to know how many sacks he has in his career with Washington. The only one I can really remember is the one where he blew up. Killed Zeke. Andy or Andy Dalton. Well, no, yeah, but he blew up Zeke on the way yeah. to Andy Dalton. But, yeah, that's, like, really the only one that stands out. That's the only one I can ever remember. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked about guys like um, Bernard McKinney from the Texans who, like, everyone was harping to get. He is a great blitzer. Like, that's what he does phenomenally. Yeah. Now, he's a liability in coverage, but, like, he'll get you to the quarterbacks. Like, and I don't know if it's, you know, transitioning from, you know, 3-4 and 4-3 defense from, like, being used to having three guys on the line and, like, that out- outside pass rusher you know, linebacker like Kerrigan was, um, and then just relying solely on your three linebackers now to to be that and do everything. So I don't know if it's we just don't have the guys for it yet. But I don't I don't like those three options as blitzers. Like besides Jamie Davis, I think he'd be great, but yeah. he's just not on the field enough to blitz him all the time. Right. Um, so I think that'll go up more as the season progresses, but it seems like we're just kind of you know, this is our defense. We're going to stay put and just play out every single play and just bend and not break like we, we said against the Chargers. Yeah, here here's the here's the frustrating thing is, you know, the gauntlet of quarterbacks that are coming. Justin Herbert, you know, I think is going to be incredible, but I would say that he's not even, you know, at the top of the list with, with who they have left coming. And you've yeah, kind of been picked. Holmes, you've been picked apart at times by both Justin Herbert and Daniel Jones. It's going to get way tougher, and Jack Del Rio's got to figure it out soon. Or those games against those top-notch quarterbacks are going to get real ugly, real fast. Mm-hmm. So that you're right. You know, they might not have what they want right now, but they need to figure something out because uh, you know the season's only going to get tougher as they go go through this this schedule, mm-hmm. starting next week with Josh Allen. 
Yeah, and like, and for me, I what I really want to see moving forward against these really good offenses is more. We saw it in the preseason a little bit. You know, Cam Curl near the line of scrimmage, Landon Collins near the line of scrimmage, more speed to where we can blitz, but then they can also go back into coverage and kind of act like a linebacker. I would yeah. much prefer Landon Collins at the line. You know, obviously he had that. You know, Daniel Jones run that was his fault, but in like passing situations where we're either gonna blitz. Or he can go back in coverage over John Bostic, who has just been slow. Yes, he yeah. makes some tackles here and there. He makes a couple plays. But I, I, I'm not, I just want more disguises. I want more packages. I just want to see more Cam Curl and Landon Collins being used as blitzers and then also can disguise and go back into, into um, coverage, which is confusing quarterbacks. Like, they look like they're blitzing. And then boom, he's automatically he just going back into coverage now. That's like once or a second and a half, two seconds taken away from the quarterback's time to make a decision. He's like, okay, that guy's now covered because Landon Collins went back into coverage. Let me go through my progressions. It just makes a quarterback's job harder. So I don't know. I, I think that's where our biggest problem lies. I don't think our secondary is the problem. Like corners and safeties have actually been phenomenal. I don't think that's getting talked enough. I think Ben St. Juice is a little a little Montreal baller. I think he's been phenomenal. I think he's been physical. Same with William Jackson III. Uh, Bob McCain already talked about. Obviously, the one play was Slayton, but it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You just have to learn yeah. from it, get on the same page. But to me, it's still that middle of the field that's killing yeah. us. So do you think we got Buffalo coming up? Do we have enough time to, to fix all these problems to pull out that one upset that we do every year? Uh, I mean, I think they certainly can. It's just whether or not they, they have the guys and, you know, through two games, it doesn't seem like it's, it's gotten figured out yet, but you never know with a, with a couple extra days, maybe that they're able to, uh, you know, watch some film and really kind of figure it out because uh, they got to, like I said, Justin or uh, Josh Allen is, is pretty good. And he's, he's probably still not even the top two or three that you're going to face this year. So you got to figure it out real quick and, uh, this will be a good test to see what they what they're able to improve on because there there certainly needs to be some improvements uh, sooner rather than later. Exactly, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, like Del Rio. You gotta get you gotta figure it out. Figure out what yep. to put in the middle. Give me a call. I'll show you a couple of plays that worked with Cam Curl and Lane. <laughs> but guys, we appreciate y'all tuning in. Like I said, uh, head over to Bet Online. Get on that betting action. You don't have to go crazy like me. But just, you know, drop $25 and use the NFL 100 promo code and you get another $25 and just do some small bets. You don't have to throw stupid money and stress out all Sunday like I do. But guys, we're going to break down the Bills Mafia. We're going to talk about the Bills. Can we pull the upset like we did the Steelers last year? Anything can happen. It's the NFL. I mean, if you watch the games today, you can see anything's possible. Guys, we appreciate y'all tuning in. Brian, I'll see you later on this week. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.